Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth. And this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Corey Estrada, co-founder of Risewell, an all-natural, sustainable brand that is disrupting the oral care industry with safe ingredients and transparency. Driven by personal experience with celiac disease and the IVF process, Corey's dedication to overall health and wellness led her to create dentist-formulated products that are free from harmful chemicals like fluoride, sulfates, and synthetic additives. In this episode, we discuss the controversy surrounding fluoride and how Corey discovered the power of hydroxypapatite during research in Japan, which has become the star alternative ingredient for Risewell's products. We also discuss what ingredients to avoid in not only toothpaste, but also floss. Corey shares about how her experience in finance has helped to shape the business and her vision for transforming the oral care industry. Finally, we talk about her personal experiences as a mother, founder, and investor, and her strategies for balancing all those roles. Keep listening to learn all about Corey and Risewell. And if you want to try her products, you can use code LIVEPURELY10 at risewell.com. Enjoy! I have some super exciting news, Purely fans. I am so thrilled to announce that our newest product line of cookie granola is finally here. We've created a one-of-a-kind recipe where a delicious cookie meets our wholesome granola. It's made with organic gluten-free oats and coconut flour, 100% whole grains, baked with coconut oil and almond butter, and only 6 grams of sugar. These snackable granola clusters have all of the flavor and crispness of your favorite cookie recipe, but in an indulgence you can feel good about. It comes in three flavors to obsess over, chocolate chip, double chocolate, and my personal favorite, oatmeal raisin. Find our cookie granolas at Walmart, Whole Foods, Publix, and on our website at purelyelizabeth.com. To find a store near you, use the link below in the show notes. I hope you're as obsessed with this new product as I am. Enjoy. Corey, welcome to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you on today and to hear your story. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really excited for our conversation. So would love to start with your journey. And certainly you haven't always been doing Rise Well. So let's go through what you were doing in your career before launching the brand. So I went to college in New York City and my parents sent me to college with uh, very little money. I think it was about $20 a week allowance, which doesn't get you very far. So quickly started doing all sorts of different jobs. And I was actually able to get an internship um, at an investment firm and uh, realized there that I really loved finance and dissecting companies and understanding different sectors. And so that's what I did at that internship. And I knew then that's the path that I wanted to go on. Um, and they recommended doing investment banking before sort of going back to a hedge fund. So I did that after college for two years, right during the financial crisis. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. But I I kept my job. So that was a good thing. And it was extremely informative because I, I entered right as things were still really good. And then obviously, uh, the world took a turn for the worse from a macro perspective. And so I get to see sort of both sides, which was actually really helpful from um, a career perspective. And then 
two years later, I went to go work at a hedge fund uh, and um, left sort of that one. And I'm actually still at the second hedge fund that I worked at called Axon Capital. So most of my career has actually been as an investor and I invest across sectors and geographies and also all different asset classes. So that's really where my experience lies. So starting a toothpaste company wasn't necessarily something I would have predicted uh, back in college. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What has been one of your favorite things about the financial career that you've had before getting into Risewell? It's really the people that you work with. I mean, I think that for me, I loved it's a very meritocratic environment. If you're smart and do well, you get rewarded. There's not sort of a long corporate ladder to climb up. And that's not something that I was really interested in. And also, honestly, from an intellectual perspective, it's really fun to have a scoreboard every single day. I know how I'm doing. There's no, you have to wait till your end. It's like there's, you know, Monday through Friday when the stock market is open, I can tell you if I'm in a good mood or a bad mood, <laughs> depending on, on how my companies are doing. And so that's actually can be mostly fun. Obviously it can be challenging as well. Um, but um, I've always been somebody that looks forward to challenges. So I think it's, it's a good thing. Um, but there's never not a learning moment in finance. You're always being challenged in different ways and learning about new companies and sectors that are new and we're just actually looking at a cement business recently, and that wasn't something that I had looked at before. And so it's always learning, 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 which um, I think is great. And actually, part of what gave me the confidence back when we did to start our company eventually, um, having looked at so many different management teams and different types of companies, when you have that sort of broad perspective, it's actually really beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. So what was then the impetus? I mean, you're certainly looking at all sorts of brands and companies and sectors of the market. Where did the idea for Risewell evolve? It started back in, let's see, it must have been 2017 or 18. I guess we were going through, um, my husband at the time, John and I were going through IVF and we we're starting to think about everything a bit more holistically. We wanted to make it a success as many people do. It's not something that's inexpensive to go through that process or, you know, it's certainly emotionally trying as well. And uh, our doctor actually sat us down fairly early in the process. And this was a more um, progressive doctor because I don't think many doctors are giving this advice during the IVF process. But I said, what can we do to make this a success? And he said, obviously following sort of all the, the rules that I outlined and take the right medications. And there were some supplements that I was taking as well. And, and he had some recommendations on the food side, but also said, be careful with the products that you're using. So we went home that night and I think I turned the entire bathroom upside down and I found this great app where you could like scan every product that you have. And it tells you if it's good or bad, meaning sort of like whether or not there are ingredients that one should be concerned with. And 90% of everything I had had some sort of yellow or red flag. Uh, so tossed all of that. And I was actually able to find replacements for most of the items that I threw out, whether it be makeup or shampoo or body wash, there was lots of great alternatives. But the one product we couldn't really find a great replacement for was toothpaste, which seems uh, like that's not possible because you have lots of comp natural companies that have been around for a long time. But the added wrinkle is that my brother happens to be a dentist. He's a prosthodontist in Florida. And I was looking for his advice. I said, what, what's a good natural toothpaste brand that we should use? And he said, 
that we might as well just brush with water because there's no effective ingredients in natural toothpaste because essentially they take out the fluoride and they take out some of the more harmful other ingredients. In some cases, natural companies still leave them in, but that's sort of for another um, question, I'm sure. And um, they don't replace the fluoride with anything that actually protects your enamel. So that was really the light bulb moment for us where we said, how do we create something that my brother, the dentist, could get behind, but that's also safe enough to eat? Because the other realization we had in this process is that your gums are actually like sponges. And so most people think that, well, I'm not swallowing toothpaste, I'm spitting it out. And so I don't need to be worried about what ingredients are in my toothpaste. But the truth is, is that because your gums are sponges, even though you're spitting your toothpaste out, there's some percentage of your product two times a day that's getting into your body. For instance, sublingual medications are something that many people have to take. You put it under your tongue. It's actually one of the fastest ways into your bloodstream. So it really does matter what's in your toothpaste. And um, we treat our products like food as one should, I believe. Uh, but that was also something that was really important for us. So those are really the two problems that we set out to solve, which was how can we create a product that's natural and works? And number two, um, treat our ingredients um, to be safe enough as food. Wow. Such a great founder inspiration story <laughs> and really seeing that hole in the market. So curious for you with your background, had you ever thought, hey, I want to start a brand or that was never in the back of your mind and you were happy in the path that you were going? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that my, you know, when I went into finance after graduating from Columbia, I remember my dad, my dad has been in the textile industry for a very long time. And he was really happy that I had this great job and I was going to be self-sufficient. And so that was all good. But I remember him noting that there might be a lack of fulfillment at some point because I didn't actually have something tangible to hold in my hands. And I don't even to this day, like still 100% agree with that, because I think there's other ways of finding satisfaction from one's career. But I think that there is some truth to that, that in growing a company where we actually have products that I now use every single day and other people are using, and there is an element to that that I would never have received from my career in finance. So that that I really had that in the back of my mind. It was kind of lurking, like I wanted to start my own thing at some point. Um, and I think, you know, John as well, he was kind of the same thought process as both of his parents were actually um, doctors. And I think he always sort of had dreams of kind of having a business of his own as well. He actually has a finance background as well. So I think both of us had that kind of in the back of our minds, but we weren't really sure what that thing would be. So putting your investor hat on, which is certainly different than like a lot of founders starting up, what was the path from this idea in your bathroom to launching the brand? Did you have a business plan? Like, because you knew so much of here's how things should be, where I think most entrepreneurs don't, which could be good or bad. So we'd love to hear the path that happened from there to launch. So a lot of consumer companies, and not all, are really marketing companies at their core. And that can be a great thing. I mean, there's many valuable companies from a market cap perspective. I mean, Estee Lauder is a great example where Really, I mean, do they have differentiated products? Maybe you could argue some have a little bit, a little bit different than products, but (laughs) at the end of the day, it's a red lipstick or it's, you know, a lotion um, and there's not really big differences that they are amazing marketers. And both John and I knew that that was not our expertise. We would have to hire obviously other people and we have a great marketing team now and they're amazing, 
Um, but the two of us, we knew that we weren't going to win just on being the prettiest toothpaste. So for us, we really wanted to make sure that we could solve those two big problems that we that I noted before, which was finding a effective replacement for fluoride. Again, something that was safe enough to eat and really, really clean ingredients so that if we had a child that ate a whole tube of toothpaste, we didn't have to call poison control. So if we couldn't meet those two requirements, then we weren't going to start a company. So that was really the first mission. And then the second part of it was, you know, if we were able to solve those problems, then how do we go about kind of designing this company? And I think that's where a lot of our experience in the finance side and looking at companies for many, many years came in handy. And frankly, even being able to take a step back, and I've um, actually looked at the publicly traded companies that happen to also sell toothpaste. Um, I don't need to mention any names, but you know they have publicly available information. So you can actually look at their financials and they have earnings calls and you can actually go through all of that. And it was very interesting to us as investors to see that this was a, a sector. So the toothpaste market, it's about $5 billion in the US. Um, so it's a pretty big market. Um, and it's essentially 90 something percent owned by two companies. Wow. Which is really incredible. I mean, there's not many other examples in consumer where you have that sort of consolidation. And that's not a new dynamic. I mean, these are companies that have had that sort of market share for a very, very long time and market share like that outside of the US as well. So that to me, while can be intimidating to some, was actually a really exciting opportunity because it felt like, you know, when when you have two players that own 90, call it 5% of the market, they have a lot to lose by changing or innovating. And we didn't, you know, we're a small company where we can, we can take more risks and do things differently, but effectively sort of the big companies that own the market haven't changed things since the 1950s. And so it was really interesting for us to say like, well, now we can actually do something that the market hasn't seen before and solving kind of those two issues of effective, but also really clean. So that was kind of like the first part of starting the business is solving that. And then the second piece was also finding people to fill in the holes of where we didn't have experience. We weren't consumer people by background. I've invested in consumer companies for a long time, but that's very different than starting a brand. So hiring you know, a great marketing team and also a great chemist to meet the requirements that we had in mind. Um, and we, we frankly outsourced a lot of that in the beginning, and we still have a very small lean team now. But another thing that was really helpful with a finance background is that we started the company really with the mindset of an investor, meaning that we didn't want to be dependent on outside capital. That was something that was super important to us because we knew that would potentially lead to bad decisions in terms of what's right for the consumer and the best product. And we didn't want to have to be beholden to anybody. So we had to design the company with that in mind, knowing that we weren't going to be sort of having to do all of these capital raises and being flush with cash and sort of thinking in an unprofitable way. We knew we needed to get profitable very quickly. Um, so that's that's always been something that's in our DNA. So there's a lot of different parts to it. But recognizing that we didn't know everything and being able to find people that did was also an extremely important important thing to do quickly. Well, I think that's really important for people here, especially, you know, people who don't have any experience 
feel that paralyzed perhaps. And then even to hear someone like you who who had experience in investing world and, and seeing all these other CPG brands, and yet you're still saying, hey, I know my faults that like, I don't know everything. And so I need help in this. The other key point, I think for anyone who is listening and starting a brand is certainly in this day and age right now where profitability is so important in starting a brand and being able to really be the master of your destiny as as much as you can, as you talked about not bringing in outside capital. So anything further that you want to talk about that as it relates to where the world is today and, and starting a brand in this economic place that we are? Yeah, it's interesting because I think this question about profitability, when we were first tinkering with the idea in 2017, it was not in fashion to even no. <laughs> use the word profit. Like that was not something that was discussed. And this was, you know, a few years after like the big success stories of like the Aways and Native. And, you know, there was a few like case studies that everybody was sort of following these, the companies that were first to market on the direct to consumer side that really figured out the Instagram and how to monetize that and get consumers cheaply. By 2017, that was really, I mean, it it didn't peak until probably 2019, but still at that point, everybody was using the same playbook and it was raising as much money as possible, dumping as much money into the market to grow revenue as quickly as possible. And that's all, frankly, venture capital cared about too. There was, you know, their, their discussions around profit didn't happen until much later on, maybe when IPOs were being considered. But I think that that was a little, you know, we, we certainly were lucky in um, having some foresight there. But frankly, I don't think that what the market was doing would have changed the way that we thought about the importance of profitability because we really wanted to control our destiny in terms of how we designed the products and, and how fast we wanted to grow the business as well. Because that's something too that there's always trade-offs. A lot of fast revenue growth can be great, but if it comes at the expense of sloppiness or you know working capital issues or cash constraints, like that can have negatives as well. Or ability to sort of change product quickly if you're left with a huge amount of inventory because you thought you were growing at a certain pace, there can be risks as well. So I think that's something that founders just need to be clear with themselves on what their goals are. And for us, the goal was to create a really, really great product. It wasn't to sell the business in a certain number of years or to raise another round at a higher valuation. We didn't have to worry about that. And we didn't want to worry about that. We wanted to focus on on executing with the business. So I think it's a personal decision for us. Focusing on profitability, I, I still think was the right decision. I think now the market is probably on that side. <laughs> I mean, very strongly. But there's there's uh, a lot of examples of consumer companies that are, are still um, primarily focused on on top line growth, and it's hard to find a lot of direct consumer businesses that are super profitable. Frankly, I mean, I think the market has changed too. When when Native launched many years ago, they were acquiring customers for fifty cents, and yeah. today, I mean, most consumer, I mean, you probably know um, the multiples better than I do, but I think that I mean, people are spending anywhere from. 30 to $70 for customer acquisition cost, which that means like you, I mean, depending on your basket size and for us, we're selling toothpaste, right? We can't spend $60 to acquire a customer that just wouldn't make sense. Um, and so these are all sort of new things that I think people are are learning and recognizing and having to adapt to, and also think more omni-channel as opposed to just purely direct to consumer as well. Yeah. 
those are all such great tips. And overall, to me, it's a, it's that ability to be able to control your destiny, I think, in whatever it is in life and have maximum amount of flexibility and optionality mm-hmm. in that is so critical. So, okay, let's hop into some of those key ingredients and really that path to finding, okay, what was an effective replacement for fluoride? And maybe just give us like a quick background reminder of what is fluoride? Why are we looking for an alternative? So the latter question is a controversial one. And I try to be as objective about this as possible, um, because really, I think another big part of our company that we knew was solidly in our DNA is following the science. And I think that's actually something, shockingly, that's very differentiated versus many natural companies is that they focused on Uh, what is perceived to be the most natural first, as opposed to actually working and being effective. And and we believe that you can actually do both, but sometimes they can be different skill sets. So with fluoride, it does work. And how it works is it's essentially, it hardens the enamel you have. So it can't add extra enamel if you're missing enamel, but it can harden it. And that can help as it relates to cavity prevention. So that was the sort of quick thinking on it. Why there's controversy with it is that, oh, and I should note though, it's only effective when applied topically. So when it's in water, it actually doesn't protect your teeth. I mean, that's maybe known to some, but not to others. Um, So the, the controversy with fluoride, it's essentially a fertilizer byproduct. So in the fertilizing process, fluoride comes out in in the process. And at one point in time, Um, It used to actually leach into the ground and it was causing issues. It was even going as far as killing animals nearby, sort of some of these factories. And EPA got involved and said that they needed to properly dispose of the fluoride. And it was a great idea in the 50s to put in toothpaste because they found sort of what I mentioned earlier, which it did. It was actually helpful when applied topically at cavity prevention. And people also thought it might help in water supplies, but that's that's since been disproven. So that was really kind of how this all got started. Uh, The issue with it is that it is absolutely toxic at not even that high of doses. Um, The recommended levels, many of us are actually surpassing that, especially if you live in a place where water, it's in your water supply. So if you're drinking lots of water and also using fluoride in your toothpaste, you're likely consuming too much of it. Um, Many people, if you've ever seen people with white spots on their teeth, that's fluorosis. So that's actually caused by too much fluoride consumption, either um, in your in utero or when they were a child that causes that. Um, if you get even higher exposure to fluoride, it can lead to more lead to more serious issues like bone sort of structural issues. And then obviously at very high doses, it can be poisonous, um, which is why there's a poison control warning on the back of toothpaste. So that's why um, there's controversy. There's also been some studies that have shown for populations that that have fluoride in their drinking water, they have lower IQs. So for a whole host of reasons, none of yeah. those that I, I mentioned sound very fun. No. If one can avoid it, uh, my view is that I would like to avoid it. If you have serious dental issues um, and it was your only option, then you might want to use it topically, maybe not drink it in water. But the great news, which leads to your first question, which is how did we find a natural alternative? John and I were actually traveling in Japan. Um, We were over there for work. And everywhere we went sort of at this moment in time, we were researching how other countries are are doing sort of oral care and how other companies are. 
and we were perusing the aisles in a Japanese pharmacy, which is very difficult because it's all in Japanese and I don't speak Japanese, um, but you can actually have, there's a translator app on your phone. So we were doing that. And um, we saw that there was this ingredient that kept popping up, which was hydroxyapatite, which doesn't sound all that natural, but it's actually 97% of what makes up your teeth enamel. It's 70% of your bones is made of hydroxyapatite. Mm. Um, we sometimes call it HA for short, just to be easier. And the cool story about hydroxyapatite is that in the 70s, NASA realized that astronauts were coming back and their enamel was actually weakening from being in space. And so they asked a very logical question, which was, how do I manufacture more of this hydroxyapatite, which what makes up um, your teeth enamel, to help these astronauts who are coming back with weakening enamel? So in the 70s, NASA actually figured out how to chemically manufacture hydroxyapatite. And very quickly after that point, the Japanese said, we're putting this in our toothpaste. And so they did. So they've been actually using it since the 70s, um, which is pretty neat. So we have data for 50 years, over 50 years wow. at this point, that shows it works just as well or better than fluoride with zero safety issues, which was the, the big important point. Uh, as I mentioned, hydroxyapatite's totally abundant in your body. So you could consume big piles of it and nothing would happen that's bad. Um, there's no neurotoxin effects like there is with, with fluoride. And you might ask, well, why don't all the com other companies use that this? That was going to be the next question. <laughs> <laughs> which, would, which is a very logical question. And when you are a fertilizer byproduct, fluoride, you would want to give it away practically for free because you have to find a way to dispose of it. So it's very, very inexpensive. And it's probably why it's in our water too, but that's just speculation. And with hydroxyapatite, ours actually comes from a mine in France. And then we also use uh, the, the synthetic version as well in our pro line of toothpaste, um, which I can get into later. But yeah, it's, it's more expensive. So when you're manufacturing a very, very inexpensive tube of toothpaste, every, the ingredient, the price of every ingredient really matters. And for us, we were trying to solve the problem first, which is we need a, a natural alternative to fluoride and also something that's super clean and we're willing to pay more for that. And so we do. So that's really the reason it's not more widely used, but you can actually find it um, in Europe. They use it, hydroxyapatite instead of fluoride. Um, obviously, Japan, it's most of the market there. And there's many more countries and companies that are picking up on it, which is great. So um, our hope is that over the next five to 10 years, we're all using hydroxyapatite instead of fluoride. I'm so excited to announce that we have launched two new superfood cereal flavors, chocolate almond and cinnamon raisin almond. Our cereal is intentionally crafted with whole food ingredients you can see and taste like sorghum, oats, chia, and quinoa. Each spoonful of our superfood cereal combines crunchy ancient grain flakes with delicious granola clusters for irresistible taste and texture. Plus, they are an excellent source of vitamin D, a good source of fiber, and have over 30 grams of whole grains per serving. You can find these new flavors along with our existing flavors, honey peanut butter and vanilla blueberry almond at your local Whole Foods and as always on purelyelizabeth.com. So in Europe, are, is that the majority now of what they're using there? Or it depends by country. In Germany, it actually is. The, there's a, com a company there that about 10 years ago brought it to the market. So it's slowly kind of creeping its way in. And I think Europe tends to be ahead of the curve for these sort of things versus the US. And interestingly, um, the one challenge that we and any other company has in the US with hydroxyapatite is we can't actually make FDA claims for anti-cavity. 
because so far only fluoride has that ability to um, put that label on toothpaste. But every country outside of the U.S., because we have so much data, there's been an, an immense amount of clinical studies done testing it head to head versus fluoride and showing its efficacy. Every other other country allows you to make anti-cavity claims. So we can just look wow. outside of the U.S. to know that this is an anti-cavity ingredient. So how do we get the FDA to be able to allow you to say that? Great question. Uh, unfortunately, it involves doing spending about 30 to $40 million on clinical oh. trials <laughs> after which you'd have no proprietary ownership. So I don't know who would step up to the plate to do that because it's not as if you'd be owning anything special at the end. Um, so for us, it's about pointing people to everywhere else in the world that supports all of the many hundreds and thousands sure. of studies that have been conducted on this. Yeah. So maybe eventually one of those big toothpaste companies, when eventually consumers stop buying their product and they realize like they have no other choice, will have to do that work. Yes, that would be the hope. So in addition to fluoride, are there any other key ingredients that are in most toothpastes that consumers should look out for and that you guys are doing differently? Yeah. So really, if there's anything in toothpaste that isn't um, like food or edible, I think that's really the bar for us, at least. I think some people are probably less uh, intense <laughs> than us, and that's fine. But some of the big culprits, which really for anyone to avoid are foaming agents, essentially those are detergents. And I think a lot of people have heard of SLS, sodium lauryl sulfate. Unfortunately, a lot of the natural toothpaste brands have actually, they're not as strict with themselves just about how clean they want to be. And so they've come up with SLS alternatives that funny enough actually have still SLS as the acronym, yeah. but they're not so sodium lauryl sulfate, which is sort of the main one. It's like sodium cocoa. I mean, it's the, essentially the same thing. If it foams, it's a detergent which is too harsh for your gums because your gums are actually very gentle. It can cause anything from dermatitis to sloughing in the mouth. Like it has, you know, can create a host of issues that one you would want to avoid if you can. And then there's really big culprits like triclosan, which is a, a less known one. But the, the crazy story about triclosan is that it's an antibacterial agent. So it helps to kill um, potential germs that might cause things like gingivitis. So it sounds like it has a great reason for being in toothpaste. Um, the FDA many years ago, probably seven or so, uh, banned triclosan in hand soap because they found that it was causing cancer in lab rats and oh. it's still in toothpaste. So that's an interesting one. Crazy. I, yeah. I mean, your, your skin's actually a decent barrier. So um, the fact that it would, something in hand soap would be banned, but not in a sponge like environment in your mouth, i still haven't been able to reconcile, but, and then there's other sort of less bad ones, but things like propylene glycol, it's actually the main ingredient in antifreeze, um, is found in a lot of conventional toothpaste and sort of things like natural flavors or flavors. Really the quick punchline on flavors is that in most cases, you don't really know what the flavor is or what's inside of it. So that there could be natural flavors that are harmless, but there also could be ones that have things inside of it that they don't have to disclose. We actually, in our in the beginning of starting the company, we were thinking about what flavor we wanted to make the kids' toothpaste. And a lot of people kept saying, we want berry or watermelon. And unfortunately, there's no natural way to actually put berries or watermelon into a toothpaste. So you have to go to these big flavor houses and they'll create 
a synthetic version of watermelon or berry. And then when you ask them, well, I need to know exactly the ingredients that are in this because I want to be totally transparent with my consumers, they will say no, because that's part of their proprietary business is creating these flavors. And so they can't tell you. And that was, unfortunately, we had to not pursue that path because we can't sell a product where we're saying it's safe enough to eat, but we don't actually know what's in the ingredient. So that was something really important for us to avoid. So we're one of the um, very few companies that actually we know where every one of our flavors comes from, what's in everything. Um, Vanilla is actually vanilla extract is one of our most expensive ingredients because it's real vanilla extract. Vanilla extract is very expensive. Yes, you you know that. So it's super expensive. <laughs> um, it's even more expensive than our hydroxyapatite. And that's what makes up our kids flavor toothpaste. So we call it cake batter, but in essence, it's just the vanilla extract. So it's just more fun for kids. So those are just a few of the ingredients that I would avoid. Um, but then there's things too that like you want to have in your toothpaste that you don't find in conventional toothpaste. Like for instance, we use some of the sugar alcohols um, like erythritol and xylitol, which obviously xylitol is very bad for, for dogs. So don't um, give our toothpaste to your dogs, but um, it's great for oral health. Um, and the quick story of it is that you have lots of good and bad bacteria in your mouth. And essentially the bad bacteria feeds off of sugar and sugar obviously leads to cavities. So if there was a way to target just your bad bacteria and kill those and not the good bacteria, that would be great because you obviously want to get good bacteria into your gut. I mean, that's the whole gut microbiome. Um, The challenge with things like mouthwash that use alcohol is that the alcohol wipes out all of the germs in your mouth. So you're killing all the good stuff that you're working so hard to harvest um, and then also killing the bad germs. Um, But the sugar alcohols actually, they pretend to be sugar. The the bad... um, germs in your mouth go to eat it thinking it's sugar and then they actually die um oh wow so it just targets the bad bacteria which is awesome so it keeps all the good guys um and kills the bad ones without you know taking a scorched earth approach which is what alcohol mouthwash does no that's genius Mm -hmm. so you also have tooth loss which i was really surprised to learn about this because i feel like People aren't talking too much about like, what's wrong with the tooth loss? It seems pretty benign, but that's not the case. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it is. You're right. Um, And part of that is actually, and this is true a little bit with toothpaste, but most consumers have no idea what ingredients are in their floss because um, the FDA doesn't require companies to disclose with products like floss. It's also true with feminine hygiene products as well they don't, the manufacturers don't have to disclose ingredients. So when you're buying uh, your box of floss, you don't, you literally don't know what's in it. You'd have to do lots of research and probably some companies still don't disclose the ingredients in their floss. But lo and behold, most companies thought it was a good idea to, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have tight sort of cracks in some areas of their teeth and it's hard to get floss in between. And so in order to get it to glide between your teeth, they coated it with Teflon which maybe 20 years ago, that wasn't an issue or probably longer whenever Teflon yeah. was banned. And, but it's still in floss. And that's hugely problematic because like I said, gums are super absorbent. And you're not only just like, it's not lightly touching your gums, you're like wedging it up in there and gliding it back and forth and doing that hopefully two times a day. So for us, we disclose it right on the box. We're very clear about the ingredients that we put in it. 
But, you know, even with conventional toothpaste, for instance, a lot of people don't know the ingredients because they only put the ingredients on the box. And so you open the toothpaste, you throw out, out the box and you're left with your tube. And you might, you know, after listening to this podcast, go back and be like, what is in my tube of toothpaste? And realize the ingredients aren't even on your tube of toothpaste. So for us, that was another, another big thing, too, is like we have to also put it on the tube. So we have the ingredients on the box and then also the tube as well so that it's right there. We have nothing to hide. But that's not something that's adopted by the rest of people in the industry. But I think with floss, like for us, we also wanted to go back to sort of our core ethos, which is having a product that's effective. We obviously use all natural ingredients with our floss and we put the hydroxy appetite in our floss as well. Essentially, like when you use it, you might actually notice that there's sort of like a white powdery stuff that sort of comes off at times when you're using it. Um, that's the hydroxy appetite. And um, the reason that we did that is that when you use it, especially in the cracks of your teeth, that's that's actually where most cavities start. It helps to get these crystals deposited in those hard to reach places. And so hydroxy appetite is actually just a crystal. So the way to think about it is like your enamel is 97% hydroxyapatite. So it's a bunch of crystals all put together. And um, when you use the toothpaste or the floss, it has more of this crystal that already exists in your body. And the crystal is essentially attaching to the other crystals that make up your enamel. And it's actually adding enamel, which is really cool. And this was sort of back to sort of the light bulb moment of when we decided to start the company, because we said, look, we can solve this realize that this is really this super ingredient because unlike fluoride and rem remember i said in the beginning it doesn't add to your enamel so fluoride just strengthens right. what you have so if, if your enamel is continuing to erode you're never going to get that back but with hydroxyapatite it obviously isn't adding huge thickness that you're seeing but my brother the dentist he has many stories of patients where they have spots that are lesions that are potentially becoming cavities at some point and he tells them, take the toothpaste, put a glob of it, you can put it on your finger, toothpaste, whatever you want, and actually put it on that area of your teeth that has sort of the pre-cavity area. And every night before you sleep, put the big glob of toothpaste, again, no safety issues, you don't have to rinse, leave it there and do that every single night. And you can actually fill in small holes. You couldn't fill in a huge hole in your tooth, um, but small places that are on their way to becoming cavities, you can actually fill in those holes, which is really, really cool. It's amazing. Obviously yeah. a big advantage versus fluoride. Amazing. So what would you say as you've been building the brand and maybe in current times right now, what's been some of the biggest challenges that you've faced or are facing? Yeah. I mean, like any startup, we've had all sorts of challenges. Um, I mean, well, I'm, uh, yeah, try to be an open book with founders because no, there's certainly never a linear path, upward path. But for us, I think, I mean, COVID was an extremely challenging time because it was good problems to have, but keeping up with, and I think a lot of online businesses saw this, just keeping up with demand was extremely challenging at the same time that just getting enough tubes to make your toothpaste. We manufacture everything in the US, um, all of our ingredients, they're sourced globally, but mostly the US and Europe, that when you're dealing with all these different countries, and if you're missing one ingredient, can't make your toothpaste, that was a very challenging time for us. But also good too, we grew a ton um, at, at that point as well. Um, and then I think more recently it's, you know, well, actually when we first got started, another big issue was just getting the word out on hydroxy appetite. I mean, we, our company is almost five years old at this point and we were doing, I remember in the beginning, like having to go to dental conferences and explain to dentists and they know what hydroxy appetite is because it's all, I mean, it's, 
biology and part of your teeth, but they just aren't aware of it as an ingredient in products. And so that took a lot of learning. Uh, I think the good news is as people are catching on to it, and I think consumers every year become more and more scrupulous with ingredients, which is a good thing for us. it's just helping to grow the overall market. And I think if, if hydroxyapatite can grow, that can continue to be a good thing. So it helps that there's more awareness about it. I mean, certainly there's much shorter discussions with dentists now than there were when we first got started, which is really helpful. And we have a lot of relationships with, with dentists, um, nearly a thousand dentists carry our products, which is really exciting. And that was really important to us too, because um, I think I had mentioned a comment earlier just about, I think the the difference with so many other companies is that we're really science first and that everything we do, we try to be thoughtful about, does this really work? And is this really clean? Those are the the two core questions that we ask with with everything that we do, because we want to be the cleanest toothpaste that's out there and the most effective because the bar was that if my brother couldn't recommend it, then we don't want to create it. Um, Because dentists have a lot at stake. It's not another red lipstick where well, nothing's going to happen. It just, it might not stay on. It might not work or look great, but you're not going to have, you know, contribute to your patient's teeth falling out. And so that's why I think in this space in particular, the science angle is really important. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're going to have a right in front of them, whether their patients come back in with a cavity or not, it's like going to be very crystal clear. Is this efficacious? Yeah. Um, And I think the, the, the nice thing about like, and that's why I think for us, while we recognize that John and I, at our core, we weren't marketing geniuses, we could find other people that, that would help us with that piece of the puzzle. If we could find something that was truly differentiated as a consumer product, that sells itself. Yeah. And so that's a big piece of advice for, I think, people starting consumer businesses in particular. If you know you're a marketing genius, like follow that path, hold on to that, make that the core of your DNA. But I think for the other group of people where you really just want to have a product that's different and that isn't on the market today that can sell itself in some cases even more than great marketing can uh, and so one one example of that is actually um, when it comes to teeth sensitivity which is something that impacts a lot of people especially if um, you've done teeth whitening in the past uh, but essentially what happens is when you're doing something like teeth whitening or if you just have a diet where there's a lot of acidity and it's stripping away at your enamel, which happens. I certainly don't have a perfect diet. Then it essentially, you're, when your enamel is stripped away, you start to expose the, the tubes in your teeth. There's little tubes actually within your enamel. Um, when those tubes are exposed, that's what causes the pain with teeth sensitivity. So if you buy a conventional toothpaste on the market that's a sensitivity toothpaste, it has an active ingredient in it that numbs your teeth. So you're literally oh. applying something that's numbing your teeth so that you don't feel the pain of your tubes being exposed. Well, welcome hydroxyapatite <laughs> because the the cool part of having these really, really tiny crystals is that not only do they stick to the enamel on your teeth, but they also fill in the holes in your tubes so that you don't experience sensitivity, which is fixing the problem from the inside, not just putting a Band-Aid or numbing agent on the outside, so that you can actually eradicate sensitivity. If you continue to wear away your enamel, then it could disappear again. But the point being that you're actually solving the problem and not putting a numbing cream on it, um, which is really cool. So that's something where the patients, if they don't have sensitivity anymore and they don't have to put numbing agents on their teeth, they'll keep coming back for more because they never want to experience sensitivity again. Uh, so yeah. that can be enough to like 
have that consumer retention there longer than a generic consumer business. Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. So we'd love to get a little bit into your life personally and how you juggle, I never like to use the word balance. (laughs) So how you juggle everything in your life, what tips do you have for managing being a mom, a founder, also investor, all the other things in your life? Um, Well, the short answer is I don't juggle at all. So I think I'm just honest with the fact that I I try my best, but I'm certainly deficient in, I'm sure, many areas, but always a work in process. And I think for me, I mean, I I still have my full-time job investing. So I'm still an investor and we have a really great team at Risewell. John um, is the CEO. He does it full-time. My brother is also both a dentist and involved with the business. Um, so we're all juggling a lot. Um, I have really great help, help at home for my kids. I have a five-year-old and a one-year-old. And John and I are actually um, no longer married, but we're great work partners. We we share a child together. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's it's funny because I think that most people would say that they couldn't work with their spouses and let alone an ex-spouse too, that that could be <laughs> extra challenging. But Honestly, it's I, we have both John and I have two babies. We have our son Leo, and then we also have our business. And I think it's helped to honestly, in in many ways. I mean, we're really good friends, and there's a lot of juggling that always has to be done. But we all have to sort of have have good help around us, uh, and recognize too that like I don't, I never wake up and tell myself I need to juggle it all because some yeah. days I can be a great mom to my kids and be totally present, and other days. We have an emergency that we have to deal with, whether it be with stock that we own or at Risewell. And, and then I've got to allocate, you know, wear a different hat and focus on that. And I think that that's given me, it's it's almost like a, you know, a simple thing with kids almost that it was that moment I realized like, you know, I'd have sort of battles every now and then with my son about taking a bath. And I realized who cares? Like what, why? I mean, it's, I liked him to have a different routine, but if he doesn't take a bath, like he's not going to die. He's going to be fine. and so. I think embracing the fact that like you, you can't control everything um, and some things actually don't matter that much and letting go a bit, I think helps because if one is kind of holding on to the aspirations of perfection, that can be really disappointing day in and day out. Um, at least it would be for me. So that's how I don't juggle it. <laughs> I love that. Are there any things that you do in your day, whether in the morning or evening or just throughout the day that are sort of non-negotiables? in order for you to show up as the best version of yourself? For me, it's, I don't work out as much as I would like to, and I haven't got into things like meditation yet, but I am really, I've always been super passionate about health and wellness generally, um, and specifically with food, I think. And this is actually sort of a good connection to a lot of the oral health stuff that we've talked about, that I think that it can be overwhelming for people, especially if you're you're new into the health and wellness journey and replacing products and foods. There, there's companies marketing everything out there, like better carpets and mattresses and pans. And I mean, you you feel like you have to replace everything that you own. The way that I've always thought about it is that, well, first off, your skin's a good barrier. So one can use products on their skin and it's, it's not going to impact you too much. Uh, but things that you put inside of your body are really important. You are what you eat. I mean, people have always said that. And I, I believe that to be true. I've a gluten allergy. So I've experienced that firsthand for a decade ago when I found that out. But I, you know, second to eating right is also, I mean, if your oral care products, unfortunately you have to put them in your mouth. And so 
They're second to food. And then there's kind of everything else below that for me when it comes to health and wellness. Um, so at least that sort of simplifies like how I streamline priorities as it relates to that. But I love cooking my own food and cooking nutritious meals for my family. And that's like such a passion of mine that's a non-negotiable. Um, because I know that if I'm eating right and my kids are eating right, that we'll we'll feel better too. Um, and that's just a, a huge part of it. Um, and then hopefully sprinkle in exercise and other things around, but the the food's a real big non-negotiable. All right, we're gonna jump into some rapid fire Q&A to end the show. Three things that you're currently loving. Ooh, um, I guess it's not too rapid fire if I'm not answering that quickly. Um, <laughs> it could be a TV show, a podcast, a product. Okay. Um, on the podcast side, I'm loving the All In podcast. is great. TV show. I just watched Sons of Anarchy. Highly recommend. Very good. And on the food side, I just discovered a great new website for recipes called I think it's Big Man's World, and it has like tons of great keto recipes that are awesome, and like the best Instagram account ever. Oh, check it out! Yeah, favorite words to live by: embracing failure, and specifically that it, when you start a company, you have to embrace the idea of failing fast and accepting that that will be okay and will get you to that path of success eventually. Um, but not being afraid of failure is so important. Love that. A goal that you are working on personally or professionally? Ooh, being more present all around. I think with so which with the juggling that you mentioned before, it's really easy to sort of get caught up in always to do and thinking about what's next and not actually being there in the moment. Any tips on how to be more present? <laughs> Work in process. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not easy. Yeah. <laughs> A productivity hack. Hmm. I am a big fan of task lists, like things like Monday, where you can kind of streamline and have different sort of buckets for everything that you have to do without it getting lost, um, but can also sort of tag other people involved and deadlines. I think that's hugely uh, efficient for me for from a productivity perspective. A favorite book or podcast for growth? Hmm. Podcast for growth, I would say I love Mel Robbins. I think she's awesome. Her podcast on the the let them theory is a must listen for everyone. I've listened to it like 20 times. What is the let them theory? The let them theory very quickly is um, most of the sort of uneasiness or angst that we experience as humans has to do with trying to control things that are outside of yourself. You can only control your own happiness. You can only control what you do, how you act. You can't control other people. And so, for instance, if your friends are having a dinner and they didn't invite you, her her advice would just be, just let them. If they wanted to have dinner together, they're not leaving you out. Like, you don't know the whole story. Just let them. Like, you can't control them. But that applies to everything in life. So it, even as parenting, I mean, obviously, there's she has certain boundaries. Like, if there's safety sure. involved or, you know, things that you know, where our hard non-negotiables, of course, need to set boundaries. But um, with other things, like, for instance, with my son and the not wanting to take a bath, let him. Who cares? Yeah. His safety's not impaired. He's going to be fine. He might be stinky. And he'll learn the consequences 
when the kids make fun of them the next day for having mud. <laughs> so it's just letting people do what they need to do and finding rock bottom or whatever they need to themselves and not you telling them what to do or how they should be living or where they should go to school isn't actually how people learn to change. I'll have to listen to it. Really good. It's- Lastly, your favorite business moment. Favorite business moment was more recently, I had a call um, and this was for my investing job uh, with someone um, from a company and I was giving them a quick background of myself and I told them I I was co-founder of Risewell and um, he just totally lit up and was like, oh my God, I love your products. I use them all the time. And it was just a, it was a random person, but, you know, on a management team of a company that I looked up to and it was just really cool. And I've had that happen a lot of times in more sort of little instances, but um, it was really neat to just hear how I was impacting him and his life. And um, so that was a really, really cool moment. It's like all the hard work is is worth it when you uh, hear those kind of little stories. Totally. Well, in closing, where can everybody find you and what is next? We are mostly online, so you can find us at risewell.com. We're also on Instagram, of course, um, but we are available in select retailers like Credo, Erewhon, and uh, Nordstrom's, Urban Outfitters. There's a whole list um, that we are at from a retailer perspective, but also um, you might find us at your local dentist as well. We're in almost a thousand dental offices. So odds are that there's probably a dentist near you that also sells our products. Amazing. And anything next that we should look out for? We are always on the hunt for different things, potentially different flavors. Um, you know, the kids line has been really, really important for us just because of the the safety angle of hydroxyapatite and with kids. Um, it's very beneficial to not have to worry about what's in your toothpaste, as many parents know. Um, so that's been really an important um, segment for us. And so we're always focused on kind of new things, both for our dentist, because uh, they want sort of bulk versions of their products that they can use in the office. Cause a lot of people still go to their dentist and get fluoride treatments, for instance. Um, and so having an alternative to that would be something that I think a lot of people would like. So, and we also have our mints as well, which are, which are awesome. I love our mints. It's funny. They remind me of kind of those like after dinner mints that used to get at Chinese restaurants, yeah. <laughs> but like way healthier. Um, but you can also use that as toothpaste. Like you could bite down on it and brush your teeth with it. So they're very versatile. Like if you're traveling, So we've always got new things in the hopper. So excited to hopefully come on again and talk about new things oral care related. Amazing. Corey, thank you so much for your time today. It was so wonderful to meet you and hear your story. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.